0: Hey, Cedar Mel. Great to see you. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. Last week, Pastor Ashley did a wonderful job talking about the final section of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in a message that I have affectionately been calling the Urge to Merge message. That's right. If you missed it, you got to go back and listen because Pastor Ashley actually said those words urge to merge in a sermon. Um, well, Today, we're moving on from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Turn to 1 Corinthians 7. And we're continuing our conversation about sex. But instead of talking about sexual immorality that we've been talking about in the last few messages, today we're shifting gears. And Paul is going to talk to the church in Corinth and to you and to me about sex in the context of marriage. What God says about the important role of sex between a husband and a wife. That is our message today. But before we dive in, I want to, I want to start by acknowledging that this can be a difficult subject. There can be deep, tender issues in, in the lives of people that are listening. And so I just want to acknowledge that today, acknowledge that If you're listening, you might be dealing with trauma or abuse or pain or rejection or insecurity from things that you've experienced. And all of those things come kind of colliding together when we talk about sex in any context, but in this this moment, sex in marriage. Some of you are women and you have been abused, sometimes by people who were supposed to protect you. There are men listening right now who've been molested by someone they looked up to. Some of you tuning in are teens and you are engaged in sexual encounters, either real or digital. Some of you aren't teens and you're dealing with secret sexual addiction and you feel shame and isolation and hopelessness. Some of you are seniors and This age that you're in is now presenting you with new challenges in this area that you haven't faced before. Some of you are single, and as you listen to this message, you'll be wrestling with the question, will sex ever be part of my story? Others are listening, and you're in a marriage that has maybe grown cold, and you don't feel like it's safe to talk about your feelings anymore. Some of you have been or are being cheated on, or maybe you're the person who did or is doing the cheating, and you're wondering, is there hope for me? Is there recovery? Is there forgiveness? Others in this room, you've wanted, your intention was to be committed to someone for life, and that just hasn't been your story. And then there are all sorts of different situations where a spouse has died or one of you has health issues or wrestles with stuff that feels completely out of your control and and you're listening today and you honestly don't feel much hope. I hope that you find hope today. But I do wanna say this, one thing that we don't always understand is the gravity and the amount of sexual brokenness we deal with as people, even in the church. So today, as Paul reminds us how important this area is, let these words challenge you, let these words redirect you, but let these words land in your heart and in your mind with grace. Because there is grace and there is forgiveness and there is redemption, even in this very sensitive area. Here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we'll start in verse one. Now for the matters you wrote about, see, one of the reasons Paul writes this letter, 1 Corinthians, is because the Corinthians first wrote Paul, and they wrote him with some questions and some concerns about what does it look like to live a life following Jesus. And so for the first part of this letter, Paul has been talking to them about his concerns, but now he shifts gears and he's going to address some of the concerns they wrote about. Now for the matters you wrote about. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Friends, this verse has caused a lot of confusion (laughs) over the decades. Um, And I want to be really, really clear about what it's saying and what it's not saying. Here's what's happening. Paul is doing here the same thing that he did back in chapter 6, and that's stating what some of the Corinthian Christians were saying. You'll notice the quotation marks, if you have the NIV, because scholars believe this. This is likely a quote that Paul takes directly out of the letter he received from them. And the situation they're, they're facing is simply this. Sex and sexuality were so corrupted and so abused in the city of Corinth. There was so much prostitution. There were so many orgies. There was so much homosexual sex and pedophilia and pedestry. And there was so much sleeping around that some in the church had decided that faithfully following Jesus meant you would just completely remove yourself from any and all sexual activity. Their idea was that complete abstinence was the way to go, even in the context of marriage, even if you were married yourself. And so now Paul is writing and he wants to correct their thinking. Verse two, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Paul just acknowledges sexual immorality is all around you. It's everywhere, temptation and corruption They abound even in the church. And because of that, he says, let me get really clear. Sex is to be shared and experienced by married people with the person they're married to. That is an important part of what he says because in Corinth, like maybe in our day, that wasn't something that people necessarily assumed. In the culture of ancient Greece, Husbands, in particular, often had wives who would raise the kids and take care of the house, but then they had mistresses that they would use for sexual pleasure. And even the women in this city, it was a fairly liberated city, even the women in this city would go outside of their marriages often for sexual activity. And so Paul is reminding the Corinthians what God has said about sex from the very beginning. He's saying, sex is reserved for marriage and sex is important in marriage. It's reserved for marriage, and it's important in marriage. It's not something that people who are married can and should opt out of. Here's another way to say it. Outside of marriage, it's a no, but inside of marriage, it's a full go. Okay, that was a little cheesy. Verse three, here we go. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise, the wife to her husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty. Now, in English, that sounds a little cold, doesn't it? I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm no expert, but I've never thought of duty as the most romantic word out there. And, and the ESV, the English Standard Version, is even worse. It says something about giving conjugal rights like give each other conjugal rights like are we in prison all of a sudden what is happening here Um, but if you read the passage and you understand what Paul's getting at there's an important truth here this verse should wake us up whether we're single and we're thinking about being married someday or especially if we are married this verse should tell us very clearly that marriage is not easy Marriage is not easy, it's not always rainbows, it's not always care bears, it's not just passion and bliss and happiness and ease and effortless romance all the time. Paul says sometimes marriage is duty. It takes energy and effort and intentionality on multiple levels, friends. Emotionally, relationally, spiritually, financially, and even in the bedroom, even in the bedroom. It takes work to make this marriage thing work. So this verse sounds pretty sterile in English, but the idea is that sex from God's perspective is a vital and essential part of the marriage relationship that must be made a priority. Recently, I was I was doing premarital counseling with a young couple who's looking to get married here uh, pretty soon, and I was asking them what, what do I do with all couples who are getting married? Like, what do they anticipate? What do they expect in terms of their sexual relationship? Like, what does sex look like look like in their marriage? And and how often do they anticipate having sex? And their answer was interesting to me. It's the answer I most often get from couples before they get married, and I, it's how I think most couples approach marriage in our world. They they said, "Yeah, we'll we'll have sex as often as we're both in the mood." Like when I really want to and when she really wants to and I really want to and he really wants to, that's when we'll have sex. And if someone's not in the mood, we won't. And I, and I think that might work at the beginning of your marriage for a while, <laughs> maybe. But, but I don't think it's a good strategy long-term for something as important as sex in marriage. Think about it this way. There are a lot of things that are important in my life. Two of them are eating well and exercising, and friends, I try to eat healthy and I try to exercise because I want to be a healthy person. It's important to me, but, but if I just exercised and I just ate healthy when I felt like it, I would not do it very often. So here's the reality, I eat well and I exercise more often than I feel like doing it, why? Because it matters, because it's important, because it's a priority, to me and it protects me from bad stuff happening in my life. Married couples, listen to me say this, do not buy into the lie of Netflix sex. Sex does not always need to be passionate, romantic, clothes flying everywhere. Some of you think that's what it should be every single time and you're putting way too much pressure on yourself. Sometimes you just need to put it on the calendar. Sometimes you just need to look at each other and say, it's been too long. It's been a little while. We just need to get this thing done. Sometimes you need to engage it even when passion and feeling and connection are low. Because sometimes what starts as a duty can turn into a desire. Sometimes duty leads to desire. And that's, that's how marriage works in lots of areas. We do something with or for our spouse out of duty, out of covenant, out of commitment, out of faithfulness, and then enjoyment and passion and desire and connection and feeling and pleasure comes later. It comes down the line. You see, one of the things that most couples miss on is they think everything has to be just perfect for there to be sex. Most couples think once the issues are all settled and things are fixed, then we can make love. But maybe, maybe friends, maybe sex is part of the healing process. One author I read this week said, when you stop making love because you have marital problems, that's like throwing away the medicine when you get sick. Now, all that to say, let me pause and make a statement that I hope is obvious to you today. Intimacy in marriage, including physical intimacy, is not always easy. In fact, if you wanna grow, if you wanna grow, In sexual intimacy together, it will be hard at times. It will be difficult. It will be an uphill climb. It will involve vulnerability and honesty and humility. It will involve talking and listening and learning. It will involve challenge and deep sensitivity for your spouse. So let me warn you. Let me call you. Let me challenge you about how not to use this passage these verses are not a weapon. This passage is not some spiritual trump card that you can like leverage on your spouse to get them to do something that you want them to do. Because notice what Paul says here. He doesn't say, guys, make sure your wife is doing her duty. He doesn't say, ladies, make sure your husband is pulling his weight. No, he says, husbands, you focus on doing your duty. And wives, you focus on doing your duty. Focus on yourselves. Call yourself into a place of serving the other and doing what's best for the marriage. Verse four, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife this is radical biblical stuff friends and the first thing i want to point out in this passage or in this verse is this this was written in a world where women were often seen as the property of their husbands and so the Corinthians would have read this statement and they would have thought at first, you know, of course a husband has authority over his wife. But then when Paul goes on to say, and the wife has authority over the husband's body as well, that's when they'd have said, what? Are you kidding me? That's crazy. That is a radical new way of thinking. Friends, let me point something out to you that you might not know. The Bible sometimes gets a bad rap, but, but in all of ancient literature, I'll say that again, in all of ancient literature, the only place where we find this kind of mutuality in sex is in the scriptures. Friends, for thousands and thousands of years before and after Paul, he stands alone in promoting sexual mutuality in marriage. He presents like, you belong to her and she belongs to you. And he's really the only one in the ancient world who ever does this. Maybe in the Old Testament, a couple places. But outside of Scripture, nowhere. Now, let me be clear about something else. Paul in this verse is not promoting an attitude that says, now that we're married, I have the right to get all my sexual needs and desires met because I own your body. You belong to me and you have to do whatever I want now. Yes. Not what he's saying. What Paul is using here is covenant language. What he's saying to married folks is, in the deepest way, give yourself to your spouse. Yield Yourself. Lay down your agenda and perspective and submit your needs and wants and reservations and fears and struggles and expectations to one another. You give yourself to him and you give yourself to her. In other words, husbands, you're responsible for her. Not, not to care for your own desires and your own needs, but to, to care for hers to care for her body, her physical needs and emotional needs and hurts and struggles and joys and passions and fears and insecurities and all the rest and wives, those things you're to care about in your husband. Also, woven into this verse is, I believe, a strong call to let your spouse care, to let them care for you. Notice he says, yield. He says, yield yourself, right? In other words, You're not forced, you're not coerced, you choose. Paul is calling us to choose, to let our spouse come close to allow them In to trust them with our very selves, with the deepest parts of who we are, to say to your spouse, I have some needs and wants and desires and hurts and struggles and joys and passions and fears and concerns and insecurities in this area. And I want you to know about those. I wanna let you in and I want to share them with you. But most importantly, I want you to share those things with me because you matter immensely to me and I want to understand and help and know you and serve you. Do you see how hard this is? This passage is not as simple as you might think. Do you see how intricate and vulnerable? Do you see how our brokenness in this world can easily get in the way of what God longs for us to experience? Maybe, friends, if you're married, maybe this week, spend a few minutes and just remind yourself I'm sorry, remind your spouse you matter. Your body matters to me. Your past matters to me. Your drive, your sex drive matters to me. Your shyness matters to me. Your insecurities matter to me. Your health condition matters to me. The stress you're feeling in life and at work or at home or with the kids or because of loss or family drama, it matters to me. I see you. I understand you. I want to understand you. The abuse you experienced, it matters to me. It's not lost on me. Remind them that you understand and that you want to understand. You see, Paul is reminding married couples here that sex is not just a get from, but a give to activity. Married couples, I know this can be uncomfortable. I know that, that these conversations can, can run really deep, but this is, is really important stuff. You need to be talking about what is and what is not working. You need to be focused on the needs of your partner. That's the calling. Verse five, do not deprive each other. The Greek here literally means do not defraud or do not steal. And the idea is that when you are married and you refuse to move towards sexual intimacy with your spouse, you are literally stealing from your spouse. You are robbing your marriage of intimacy and connection and pleasure and passion. And Paul says, please don't do this. Please don't Take this course of action. Don't take something out of your marriage relationship that is essential and vital to it. Except, he says, perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. See, apparently there were some, some Christians in Corinth who were saying like, we are so spiritual that we connect by praying together. We don't need to have sex with each other. We don't have, need to have sexual intimacy. We just have prayer intimacy, and so that's what we do instead. And Paul says, well, okay, um, that's acceptable. In fact, in verse six, he says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. Um, and what he's saying is, he's saying, I can concede to that. I can concede to maybe you wanna spend some time in prayer and take a break from phys- physical intimacy to pursue spiritual intimacy with the Lord. That's all right. That's fine, I guess, can happen but just for a time not for a long time just for a time now some people take this verse and these words and they say you know oh it's a concession not a command and they think that refers to the entire passage and they throw out this entire section of scripture ah this is just paul's thinking he's not even commanding us to do it i can kind of throw this whole thing out that is not what paul is doing he's saying again real clearly I'll concede that if you agree to it together, you can take a break sexually to pray, but I'm not commanding that you do that. In other words, you don't have to take a break sexually to pray. You can pray and pursue sexual intimacy. You can pray while pursuing sexual intimacy, and that's a whole other sermon. But he's certainly not saying, I'm throwing this entire command out. The clear And very strong calling from Paul in this passage is for married people to make sexual health a priority and to relentlessly pursue sexual intimacy in their marriage. Now, for some of you who are listening, that will take more work than for others who are listening. This is a harder challenge for some than others. Others, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, this is a whole lot easier for men. (laughs) Maybe you're thinking that. Maybe you're thinking, Pastor Dave, of course you like this message because you're a man. But, but, hold on. Here's here's statistics. In 20% of marriages, and friends, that's a lot of marriages. 20% of the population who is married, the wife actually has the higher sex drive. So let me just pause and say this. If you are in a marriage like that, where the wife has the higher sex drive, you are not strange, you are not weird, and you are not alone. Your situation isn't talked about and it isn't normalized, but you are very normal. And friends, again, the point is this. In every marriage, there will be different hopes, dreams, needs, drives and expectations but Paul says in spite of that don't give up make this area a priority if you want to take a break to pray all right that's fine i concede but then verse 5 then come together again so that satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self control this verse is huge and i and i'm I'm gonna speak here as boldly and as honestly as I've spoken for every single passage that we have tackled in this book so far. When you withhold pursuing sexual intimacy with your spouse, you literally open your marriage up to satanic temptation. That's what Paul is saying here. Pastor Ashley said it last week, but I'll say it again today. The Bible has such a high view of sex. The Bible says sex is is significant. It's important. It matters. It is sacred. The world says it doesn't matter that much. It's no big deal. But the Bible says it's very, very, very important. And there are all sorts of implications From that, and in marriage, it means this, you must understand that sex in your marriage is a big deal. So if you are listening today, and you are married, and you are not moving towards sexual healing, health and intimacy with your spouse, and notice, I didn't just say, if you're not having sex, I said, if you are not moving towards healing and health and intimacy, which can sometimes be a long process, depending on what you've been through and what you've faced. If you're not moving towards that, though, with your spouse, you're on a dangerous path. Perhaps there's some stuff in your past. It's back there, some stuff that was done to you or some stuff that you did. Be honest. Get help. Find healing. Ask the Lord to help you deal with it. See someone. Maybe there's been betrayal In your marriage or unfaithfulness in your marriage or in a past relationship and you need to get help and work towards healing and forgiveness and reconciliation so that you can begin to live the life that god longs for you to live but friends do what you need to do to get on a path towards healing and health and intimacy in your marriage because again what i believe paul is saying in this passage clearly and strongly is when your sexual relationship is moving moving in a healthy direction you build a firewall between your marriage and temptation you just put a firewall right between you sexual intimacy safeguards your marriage in such a strong way and i need to say two things about that now two more caveats a lot of caveats in this message two more things before we go any further one Maybe you're listening and you're saying to me right now in your mind, but I did that. I did that, Pastor Dave. I wanted intimacy. I had sex with my spouse and they still cheated. I was intimate with my spouse and they still looked at pornography. Yes, I am not saying that if you have sex, all temptation goes away and that there's not some level of of faithfulness and commitment required. There is. There is. And if that happened to you I am sorry those wounds are hard those wounds are deep and I pray that the Lord by his grace will heal you and I would also just offer you that we have groups here at our church to help you walk through that process of healing groups like mending the soul we have some women's groups betrayal and beyond we have some men's groups reach out We will put you in a place where you can begin to pursue healing in this area of your life. We'd love to help you. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing I wanna say. Another response to this passage that is completely wrong is sometimes that I can now justify my sin, my sin because of my spouse's reluctance in this area. My spouse wouldn't have sex with me. So now I, and fill in the blank, fill in the blank with some sort of sexual morality or some sin, friends, I I just have to say, absolutely not. That is not Paul's intent in any way to justify sexual unfaithfulness because your spouse is struggling or stuck or even unwilling. And if you wanna use this passage to justify your sexual immorality, I will just refer you back to 1 Corinthians 6 and some really strong messages that were preached the last couple weeks on the passages that came right before this. That is not Paul's heart, it is not the heart of God. The heart of God in this passage is that sexual intimacy is an important part of marriage and it's a gift to us to help us and grow us and safeguard us and that we should not neglect this part of our relationships. Don't, just because it can be difficult, complicated, Stressful, sometimes clunky and routine and awkward and embarrassing. Don't lose sight of how God wants to use sexual intimacy in your marriage to bring you to newer and deeper levels of intimacy with your spouse. If you're listening right now, let me, let me just talk to you again. Maybe you haven't talked about your physical relationship for a long time with your spouse. Maybe there are past hurts and pains that You think they're just easier or you're just tempted to avoid them. Maybe one of you has been caught up in some sort of sexual sin. Maybe at various points, sex in your marriage has been used as a bargaining chip, something you leverage or has been leveraged against you to get what the other wants. Friends, I know this is an extremely personal, vulnerable, difficult, challenging part of marriage, but God says it's worth it. It's worth the time and it's worth the energy and it's worth the effort. It is worth you as a couple discussing, apologizing, seeking out healing, counseling, doing whatever it takes, doing whatever you need to do so that this area of your life can get back on track and you can move towards oneness together. Now, as we close, I wanna say some final words. I know that a sermon like this can land in a lot of different places. A lot of different experiences, a lot of different hearts out there. I know that it can bring with it a lot of guilt. It can kind of stir up a lot of shame. It can surface a lot of regret, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, maybe even some resentment. But let me remind you of this. The truth that sits underneath this truth, the truth that sits underneath this calling and this challenge and this invitation from Paul And it's this truth, we serve a God of never-ending second chances, a God who loves comeback stories, a God who can redeem even the hardest, most difficult situations. And so friends, hear this, there is grace for you today. There is grace for you today. There is grace in the places where you have failed. There is grace to help you forgive. There is grace to help you move towards the person God longs for you to be no matter what the circumstances are that you are facing. And so this morning, as we close our service, we are gonna remember the example and the source of that grace in our lives by sharing the Lord's Supper. We're gonna remember together and we're gonna understand that we are undeserving people who fall short and that it's only by God's grace and his patience and mercy and love that we are accepted. And so as he offers us his grace, we are now empowered to offer it to those in our lives, especially those closest to us. So if you have your elements, we're gonna remember together this thing, this reality, this truth, this event that defines our lives more than anything else in this world. I'm gonna read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and then we'll share the meal together. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, think about that, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember how much I gave myself and how much I sacrificed myself so that you could be right with me. The body of Christ, let's take and eat. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We just declare like we are people of grace and mercy and forgiveness that is completely undeserved. And so we can offer that same grace undeserved to others, especially those we are married to. And so let's take together the blood of Christ. Church, pray with me if you would. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace, that it cost you so much to accept us and receive us, and that you accepted us as broken people, not fixed, not right, with a lot of things wrong and yet you just reached out and by your grace and mercy and sacrifice, you just pulled us in. God, may that grace change us and fuel us to be those kind of people in this world With the people of this world, but God, especially with the people closest to us. And today I'm thinking about the people that some of us are married to. Give us your amazing grace in our marriages. Give us your amazing grace in this area of our sexuality and our sex lives. And specifically today, God, give us grace for the sexual relationships that we share as married couples. God, I also just pray a blessing over the singles in our church, as they wrestle through being single and what that means and what that means for them sexually and how to relate to passages like this, God. Um, I know that you're gonna to speak to them in some passages to come, God, but I just pray uh, that you, they would feel seen and heard and loved and accepted in our church, God, that, we would, that we would live together with this common identity that we are your children, saved by your grace, loved by you because of your son. So God, give us what we need this week to be your people and to live out the calling that you have called us to live. We ask these things and we pray it in the name of Jesus.